1: everybody patrick gonner and welcome to the knuckles and gloves podcast man we got some boxing to talk about because there was boxing this past weekend and this coming weekend we got some stuff coming up i'm here with my dude eris pina copy box operator and fellow boxing maniac what's up man
0: how's everything my man
1: Doing yeah we
0: absolutely have a lot to talk about there was a big heavyweight fight that we were discussing earlier this week and um last week excuse me and there's a major, major, a couple of major cards coming up that um everybody's been really excited about coming up this weekend. So
1: yeah. Yeah, we're we're definitely in kind of a busy time or whatever for for boxing. It's kind of like kicking up in the next few weeks and it's gonna sustain us for a little bit. But dude, last weekend, you know, they say, and I, I think that we generally agree that there's no boxing like heavyweight boxing. Unfortunately, this was not fantastic fight overall but generally speaking uh it was good to see tyson fury back in the ring um just wish it would have been a little bit more competitive and i mean there's there's so many asterisks kind of attached to this fight now that like we could barely even talk about the fight it's that's just how it goes you know
0: totally totally but When it comes to being competitive, there was a lot of people that thought that Dillian White definitely would be competitive. I mean, given his track record, he's definitely um, proven himself to be the uh, number one contender for a long time. He's fought in the who's who of the division of this era for the most part, except for, you know, the very top guys. And, um, you know, there was a lot more expectations of what he was going to be able to do with Fury, who, like you just kind of alluded to, had a a lot of out of the ring distractions going on. Plus, he was coming off of a grueling fight with Wilder. You know, it was kind of a wild card. But instead, he came in with one of the most boneheaded strategies of recent memory, which is coming into the ring and turning Southpaw for the first time. Well, fighting Southpaw for the first time in how long did they say? Forever, basically?
1: Yeah, I mean, he's not really <laughs> I mean, known. It's
0: for- not something he's ever known for doing, but I don't know if that was to the throw Fury off or whatever it was, but that's just something... Kind of like when Sor Pasai did that in the rematch with um with the rematch what was it Estrada, right? Yeah, and the rematch with Estrada when he turned southpaw and fought like that for like the first had whatever it was amount of rounds before he decided you know realize it was being stupid, turned it back and instead of having success and made it a closer fight. It kind of the same thing. Like you don't just fight southpaw suddenly when you don't do that over the years. It, it's just <clears makes throat> no sense. It's not gonna confuse your opponent if anything is going to make you more uncomfortable and make the fight less competitive because you have no clue what you're actually doing when you do that you, you think you do and yeah. you get into the real world and you just kind of like <laughs> it's, it's so yeah and Fury's not a guy that ever really gets frazzled anyways you know he's seen it all he kind of deals with it he has an unorthodox style that he adapts himself as a fight goes on and he knows what's going on so it's like that wasn't going to bother him in fact it just made it easier
1: to me switching stances and i mean i know that there are fighters who have done it su- successfully and there are some fighters who do it successfully uh you know i've seen the we've seen the charlo brothers do it we've seen terence crawford do it i'm not saying that fighters can't do it but overall what like the switching stances shit to me that's like the hallmark of like a really amateurish fighter who doesn't really know what the hell they're doing I mean, gen- generally speaking, if somebody's in there switching stances, it's like, oh boy, this is not going to end well. Because it's like, that's the kind of thing where it's very few fighters can pull it off successfully and safely. And then on top of that, it's like, it's not even effective. Like, there's no point in doing that shit. It's not going to do anything for you. Almost nobody can actually fight as well left-handed as they can right-hand. I mean, it's just, it's, it's unheard of almost. So, I mean, that kind of shit is just, it's like novelty stuff, dude. It looks cool. It seems cool, but it doesn't do anything. And it was it was a dumb, I guess, like you said, to throw off Tyson Fury early on or something. But it didn't. Like, nothing happened.
0: So, here's one. Remember the video I sent you probably a month or so back when we were, like, uh, messaging each other? It was um, Ezra Seller's against Johnny Yaya McLean, which yeah. was a Cruiserweight undercard fight buried deep on the- Yeah, he got uh, God like the... dude. <laughs> yeah, and that was the same thing. He was trying to switch Southpaw and BQ and like you're going back and forth in styles for no rhyme or reason. It wasn't like, you, you, like you just, what you just mentioned. There wasn't like any rhythm to it or anything. He would just kind of switch him back and forth. And Ezra Sellers, Ezra Sellers who was a hell of a puncher and, you know, and a very exciting fighter back in his time, timed him perfectly, caught him with a shot. That was a beautiful shot. Just flatlined him right there. Um, McLean somehow got up, but then had his ankle broken and the fight was stopped soon after but I mean that's a good example right there of what you want to talk about like trying to switch stances when you're not really naturally doing that like a Crawford or a Haglow or you know even a guy like Whitaker for example who didn't do it often but I'm saying you know someone who was able to do something like that it's not natural if it's not natural for you to be able to do something then eventually someone's going to be able to time it quickly and blast you out of there
1: yeah it's 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 a foolish move dude and Dillian White is not the kind of fighter that's like a slickster or smooth or anything like that. You know, he's the kind of fighter where he, he should have from the beginning been, and there were a couple of moments. Um, I thought that he maybe could have won around. I want to say it was like the third or fourth only because he got body punching in and he was able to take the fight to the ropes and kind of rough Tyson Fury up a little bit. He wasn't like clearly winning the round by any means whatsoever. But I thought that, again, he could have, like, taken a round, maybe. Um, but that was the kind of fight that he needed to do. He needed to take Fury of the ropes. He needed to get inside on him, go to the body, uh, use his forearms, elbows, head, whatever the case may be. And I think that that's, that's exactly what he didn't do. He fell into the trap literally right away. In the first round, by the end of the first round, I even tweeted – Something to the effect of, ah, oh, shit, if Dealion White's already buying into the feints, then it's it's over, you know, because that's that is Tyson Fury's game. That's specifically one of the things that he's been able to do very effectively, uh, in, in over his rise to the heavyweight title is, and he actually did, he basically outdid Vladimir Klitschko with feints. He hit him like, a half a dozen times or something like that in the first round, but then just worked overtime on the feints and had Vladimir Klitschko buying on the feints all night long. He didn't like really hurt him, didn't do shit, really. He just fainted him to death all night. And Klitschko was like, you know, (laughs) like buying on that shit. And once a fighter starts doing that with someone like Tyson Fury, it's like that's the end he needs. That's all he needs to get in there. And so unless you're able to get in there and rattle him, take him off his game, something, dude, you're, you're playing into exactly how he wants it, which is what Dillian White did. So, I mean, it, it was not remotely a shock that it ended the way that it did. Um, it's, it's just a matter of, I think that this was what a lot of people were talking about. You mentioned earlier that Dillian White earned his number one contender status, and I, I don't disagree. But at the same time, you know, he can be deserving as a number one contender, but also be clearly out of Tyson Fury's league, which is what it looked like, you know, that he's just not fast enough. He doesn't throw enough. He doesn't have the ability to kind of press with that strategy. So that's what we saw.
0: Absolutely. You know, totally. But and then, you know, Fury, well, just it was one of those things that like Fury even felt like when you're watching the fight. You know, he was totally in control, but you still kind of like what Usyk sometimes, or how he fights, you can just see that he was not going through the motion so much, but he wasn't really in the A gear that he needed to be. Like, he didn't have to be. You know, everything was controlled. He knew what he was doing. Everything was complete control. And that shows you when you're on an elite level of a type of fighter. When you're fighting a guy, even though um, Dillian White looked inept in this fight, he, like we said, he's been having, he's had a proven track record. Like, you know, he's proven himself against very high quality opposition. Over the past few years and earned the status and um fury showed that he's at a different level than even that and only few guys in the sport are around that you know what i mean and when they are they show their class eventually and even like the best fighters like roy jones used to do sometimes early back in the day there was guys who were really really good fighters we're not talking about some of the guys who would slap around easily but like you know some yeah, fighters
1: or ricky Fraser or anything
0: exactly for example yeah but like certain guys who had the potential to be champion or like, you know, top contenders, Roy made them just look like, you know, just another guy. And that's what Fury was able to do with, you know, Fury showed his class at this point. That's why he's viewed upon as um, one of the best in the world. And a lot of people now are starting to speculate as, you know, um, status and as an all-timer in history, which always inevitably happens whenever there's a big heavyweight who's like doing a lot of business. And, and, has a lot of popularity around him. Like Lennox Lewis wasn't that popular. So like back in the day, especially when social media wasn't around, it wasn't really prevalent when Lewis was champion anyway. So if it was, maybe people would be talking about his all-time great status more so back then. But at that point too, if you read it in the magazines and, and everything else, more people downgraded Lewis as opposed to like, as Fury is now, Fury is more popular, it seems, with the general consensus. And he seems to be more favorable when it comes to all-time great matchups now surprisingly
1: well the the story after so he winds up the the uppercut from hell winds up catching what's that Uh, that was a good uppercut it was he timed it great uh dillian white was if you're listening to the kind of technical analyst type of folks in boxing you know he was keeping his head on that center line he wasn't moving his head enough he was just kind of following Tyson Fury around. And that was, we saw the product of that. Fury timed him, hit him with an uppercut. I think the uppercut didn't really land. uh, It didn't smash him quite as it could have. And Mm. yeah, the push probably did help a little bit, but clearly the uppercut did the vast majority of the work. And so he takes him out in the uh, sixth round and the proclamation now from Tyson Fury We've heard this from him a couple times, so it's really difficult to say how much we take him at his word here, but he says that he's going to retire, that he doesn't want to fight anymore, you know, that he's he made a promise or something like that that he was going to retire after the third Deontay Wilder fight. I would imagine that for instance, if if uh, Anthony Joshua, if that fight comes up or if he were to defeat uh, Alexander Usyk in a rematch, then that fight would probably lure Fury back into the ring, but I mean, I guess for now, you got to take him at his word and assume that he's serious. And if he is, the debate, like you said, kind of starts rolling into the, well, where does he sit in history type of stuff? Of course, Tyson Fury is saying that he's the greatest of all time. I think it was Teddy Atlas saying that he was the greatest British heavyweight of all time. Um, I don't know, know, man. it's, It's Teddy, you know? I don't know but
0: um and then i like fury bro i i I like fury a lot but you you gotta be real here if this is like the end of him and he wants to go the floyd route and fight a you know um like a crossover bout with nganu who's the what was it the ufc heavyweight champion then you know i'm sorry man his legacy is where it is he's a very very good fighter and had the potential to be a great champion. Well, and beating
1: somebody like Francis Ngannou doesn't do anything for his boxing I, legacy. Totally not. You know, just like
0: Floyd beating Conor McGregor, didn't do yeah, anything for his.
1: Yeah. yeah, it makes him a bigger superstar, but it doesn't... Yeah, I, I don't know, dude. It's, it's similar to a discussion about Floyd, similar to a discussion about maybe one of the Klitschko's. Um, clearly, their talent and their ability make these fighters so that they can compete in just about any era
0: Mm -hmm.
1: that doesn't mean that their resumes and that their ledgers are up to snuff when when we're comparing them to older eras and that's not their fault Uh, that's not a knock on them you know i i don't hate floyd mayweather just because i rate him, you know top 30 or 35 or whatever all time instead of being like top three or some shit like somebody wants me to on twitter or something but i mean you know it's that's not his fault that he was born when he was born. He fought who he was supposed to fight for the most part for his entire career, just as Tyson Fury is not like ducking anybody. Vladimir Klitschko is not didn't duck anybody. It's just that you can Yeah, they don't have the they don't have the depth of great fighters to defeat, to uh, seat themselves alongside the greatest of all time. It's not their fault. It just is what it well. is. So, I mean,
0: it's fun though. Like, people can speculate if you really want to, of course. Like, it's more fun to speculate, I would say, doing like Mm -hmm. mythical fights between the guys as opposed to like trying to pull some out of pedestal. I find
1: that 100%.
0: my In my opinion,
1: 100%. No,
0: it's, it's easy.
1: Probably would have have been fucking hell for like Muhammad Ali. Like, he probably would have been a
0: total fucking nightmare
1: stylistically.
0: Or Joe Lewis. Or a lot of guys in history.
1: Yeah, yeah. Not to single out Ali, but you know, yeah, exactly. Just, just
0: to throw just to throw a name out there. It's the easiest <laughs> one to throw. Like that. Him. I think he would have gave Mike Tyson physically and mentally just an absolute been an absolute nightmare for him stylistically wise. At the same time, though, Tyson could have caught him quickly, just like Joe Frazier, who, who showed his worth against big guys, even right. though he was by Foreman, but like Buster Mathis Senior, who was a giant of his of his era, and a few other big guys of that time. And And the Fraser of the Ali fight was able to get in and Tyson Fury and move in on him. There's a good chance Fury would have got late would get laid out quickly. So
1: right. And that's (laughs) and that's where the debate gets starts getting kind of fun, you know, like where it's like you we obviously have seen and you brought it up, I think, some other I don't remember when precisely, but you brought it up recently, the Tyson Fury Cunningham fight where Cunningham just, you know, with I think it was an overhand right, just flattened his ass.
0: You The know, loudest you give, thing I've ever heard in my life, man. The whole sound like a Thunderdome just <laughs> around in the ring.
1: You give some <laughs> other fighter that opportunity. You give Joe Lewis an opportunity to land that right hand, and Tyson Fury is going to sleep. It's not, you know, that's not going to be. So, yeah, the de- the debate is, is it's lively. It's fun. But inevitably on social media, people are going to come
0: down to who wants, you know, where does he land in history? And at yeah. this point, it's hard to put him really in the top ten. You know, this it with, yeah, with it's was the way it is and how deep it is and being one of the originals and the, the depth of it and the history behind it and everything like that. And who's come before him? Yeah, dude, it's, it's
1: it's tough, man. And it's he's only got thirty two fights, Um, and that's again. It's not to say like, oh, well, you can't get in there if you don't have fifty fights. Nah, it's not like that. No, totally. It's just that if you only have thirty two fights, though, so those better be some fucking bangers on that thirty two fight ledger and. They're, they're like aren't really you know it's not a knock on him but he doesn't have his signature win at this point is either going to be probably in that Deontay Wilder rubber match or Vladimir Klitschko when he won the title which I mean wins. both are very good wins but again just do not hold up to the greatest you know heavyweight wins especially
0: when you keep on, like, looking at the at like the full on um resumes, like if you compare it to Ali's or if you compare it to Lewis's or if you compare it to this you know others from that from that time like over history, so yeah,
1: it's yeah it's okay. We're not trying to hate on the guy. It's but just I don't
0: that he's finished either. I think this is just you know talk until like you said things play out the way you do and like I don't he's not interested in finding mandatory challengers or finding a Tom Schwartz anymore or, or um Otto Wallen, even though he in that fight, but like things of that elk like he's looking for big cash outs now he's at that point like mayweather or other guys where he's looking for the biggest available fight he doesn't really have to do mandatories at this point even if the belts aren't really there because you know at the when you get to that type of level something will get thrown at you someone will sanction something for you just pick it up it doesn't even matter like whatever the big he knows he's the money player in that division and like you said if joshua is able to win a rematch with Usyk then he'll definitely be able to, he would definitely fight Joshua, because he knows he views jo- um, Joshua as a guy that's beneath him, and unbeatable. beatable. Usyk, it's a different matter. Like you mentioned the Cunningham fight, um, Fury has, has definitely has trouble with guys a lot smaller than him to deal with, and Usyk is a much higher caliber fighter than Cunningham ever would. Listen have. to me,
1: you big stiff idiot.
0: Yeah, so I mean, that's a, that's a whole other one. That would be an absolutely fascinating fight that I would love to see, but that one, I'm not sure, would be as likely as opposed to seeing um, Joshua.
1: Yeah. The, I mean, I think that uh, if if they could put together enough money, it might be enough for him. I I don't even know if it is about money. I mean, uh, like but I said.
0: The fight, it might be likely, man. He brought him into the ring afterwards. They both seemed very agreeable about it, and I would not be surprised. I wouldn't, I wouldn't really be really interested in it, even though I'd still watch it, but... Um, it is what it is. I mean, Fury's already in the UFC video game, uh, along with Joshua, so might as well.
1: <laughs> well, and, and also, like, on the UFC tip, dude, Francis Ngannou, he, I think that he's, he wants to be anywhere but in, in Octagon fighting next. I think that he, <clears throat> he's probably not going to outright say it because he's still, you know, at the whim of UFC and what they want to do, I guess. But at the same time, <clears throat> excuse me. I would imagine he feels pretty disrespected um, that he doesn't feel well. And he should. Yeah. I mean, a lot of, a lot of mixed martial artists should frankly, a lot of, just about everybody in the UFC roster should financially, but um, you know, he, he probably feels pretty disrespected and not very protected or whatever uh, within that organization. So it sounds like he's, you know, there've been rumors about him talking with BKFC There's been rumors about him trying to do something in boxing, et cetera, et cetera. So it sounds like he's trying to do just about anything with that, and that would at least be kind of intriguing. But again, like we both said, it wouldn't really do anything for Tyson Fury's legacy. Um, And I mean, I don't know. To me, it's it's not uh, again not hatred, but it's like if you're already kind of at a point my thought would be like if you're already at a point where you're like oh well, I just retire I don't really want to fight anymore then you probably should just fucking retire man like don't don't play around and then wind up getting knocked out in your next fight because you're just not really into it even if it's a big fight or you took off uh, Lennox or-
0: Lewis Ocean's 11 Lennox <laughs> Lewis Ocean's 11
1: <clears throat> Yep, dude straight how up
0: how's the rock room
1: straight up I mean dude. just
0: saying when, you're, when your mind's not into it and your whole you know you're into all up in the movies and all you know, all up in the videos, <laughs> yep. Owning Shug Night over here. Um, every like, dude, other
1: video, yeah, yeah. It's, it's. Uh, I don't know, dude. It's, I, I like, I don't I'm have a big any Fury fan though. What's that?
0: I'm a big Fury fan though, so I hope he does have like a few more legit fights in him because I enjoy watching him and I Absolutely. enjoy his personality and everything too. You yeah, know?
1: I think that he's fun and I think that overall, you know, he's pretty good for boxing, but. <clears throat> entertainment yeah, I wise singing,
0: I remember him singing after the Cunningham fight when I was there the first mm-hmm. time. After he got dropped and they ended up stopping him and all that other stuff, and
1: still yeah. he had a full on head of hair
0: back then. And he got up and sang. What oh, was it? Probably still an early afternoon. Yeah, it was still early afternoon at massive spare Garden and serenaded the whole audience. It was pretty awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's that's definitely a throwback to a number of different fighters, to Renty Monaghan, the old yeah, flyweight yeah, champion, yeah, 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 used to do absolutely. that shit. Um. You know, entertainment-wise, he can be pretty hit or miss, but I, I don't really have any sort of issue with him. But like I said, I, he's usually better for the division, better for boxing if he sticks around. So hopefully hopefully he does for that reason. For sure. But uh, I don't know. I don't know. I guess okay. we'll just have to see what happens.
0: So before we move on, though, the really, um, if you want to see a comparable knockout to what you saw with Dillian White against um, with Fury knocking out Dillian White, just look it up on YouTube. You'll be able to find it. Go back to 1954 when Tiberio Mitri, who was an Italian middleweight contender, um, who fought Jake LaMotta for the, for the championship, losing a you know, nondescript decision. But he was, a, he was a very good fighter. You know, a European guy that fought minimally a few times in the city and in, in, uh, in America, but mostly known in the European scene. Top flight. Knocks out Randy Turpin, former middleweight champion. The guy most notably for, you know, upsetting Sugar Ray Robinson in the very first round and which was deemed pretty much an upset. And um, so the footage goes, and I remember watching this as a kid because it's on the video, 30 great one-punch knockouts. So that's the first time I saw it. But you can see it, you know, it's on YouTube. Mitri, I think, comes in with a left hook. So that's what it was. They're just kind of moving, moving, comes in, boom, hits him with a left hook. Turpin freezes, and Mitri, boom, shoves him, completely shoves him, double-hands him like you're passing the basketball, and Turpin just crashes and bounces the head off the canvas, doesn't move, in the fight's yeah. over.
1: That one was that one was definitely far more like uh, you know what I'm talking, exaggerated. about exaggerated, right? yeah, yeah, oh yeah, <clears throat> I know the video you're talking about, too, I yep. remember that
0: and he hits him boop and then he shoves him, and the carpet was <laughs> like, spinning across the ring, and just drops
1: <laughs> yeah, like he like he, like it was almost like getting clotheslined like in wrestling, yeah. like he like whap, you know like really hits the canvas. I um, remember for a while actually um. God, I don't know. Maybe like a uh, probably like a week or something like that. Maybe a little more after Hopkins Trinidad. There were a lot of Trinidad fans who were trying That's to right. sell
0: he that. Did do, he did do the shove a little bit after he hit him with a shot. He hit him with, I think, another hook or right yeah. hand, pushed him There down. were a
1: lot of people who were trying to sell that line that, like, oh, it wasn't a legitimate knockout. He should have gotten an extra time because he pushed him down and stuff like that. It, that, it was the push that hurt him. That's what hurt him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like. No, who's the right hand, bro? It was definitely
0: the right hand. But- or if you really want to see the worst one, uh, like a really bad one, when the referee was the blatant one. Besides Mills Lane, um, <laughs> was when H- Julio Caesar Green was fighting Lonnie Beasley. Both of them, Green ended up becoming a middle uh, WBA champion for a cup of coffee when he upset William Joppy. And Lonnie Beasley was a fringe contender in the in the nineties. Anyways, the fights on USA Tuesday Night Fights. Green is getting a little bit better in like a grueling fight referee breaks it up i forgot who the referee was but when he breaks it up beasley who was a little weary already to begin with just kind of stumbles back because the referee broke it kind of hard beasley stumbles back and falls down and the referee walks over and stops the fight <laughs> and, and green just raises his hand and beasley's kind of like wait what the hell just happened <laughs> and he gets wrapped up confused <laughs> and, yeah
1: yeah, good old like Mills Lane.
0: Down. Yeah, like Mills Lane shoving Hopkins out of the ring and kind yeah, of yeah, dude. Oh, Come you guys uh, like wrestling
1: and oh, dude, brutal. So, that shows. Yeah. That shit was awful. I mean, Mills was you know former Marine dude. He was in there. Mills
0: was in the Olympics too, man. He was not one to mess with. I'm I'm really really close friends with Terry and Tommy. Uh, Terry and Tommy Lane. They've told me some awesome stories of like traveling with their dad over the years and going to big fights and meeting all these people in the mills. I couldn't imagine growing up, but it must've been awesome. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, not long dude to ever mess with... Why do you think as such a small guy, who's probably smaller than I was, and I'm not a big guy, was the one that was usually called on to be the referee from major heavyweight fights between absolute gargantuans.
1: Because he I've was the, he was the went, quintessential no-nonsense referee.
0: Exactly, and didn't take shit from anybody. And it just worked. Like, they brought him in to referee... Yeah. Um, uh Akinwande Lewis they brought him in to referee other like sometimes they would bring him into New York to referee a big heavyweight fight like
1: what was what was know? it that he he had oh, he a
0: refereed I think Morrison Morrison Lewis which was <clears> was <throat> that in Vegas or was that Atlantic? One of those areas I think that was on the east coast. And yeah I want to say that was Atlantic Yeah. So
1: yeah well, he had a couple of good lines in the Holyfield Tyson rematch too. Yeah <laughs> ah, ah, bullshit shut up Two yeah. points. You bit him intentionally. Shut up. <laughs> was that was a like, bite.
0: No, no, no. You're not out. Bullshit. <laughs> yeah, bullshit. When he, way I mean, man, he was celebrity deathmatch. That's what a lot of. That's what my youth usually remembers him by.
1: So. Yeah, totally, dude. I I remember when he got that. He was briefly uh, a TV judge. Like they gave yeah. him a, a TV show sure, for a little Mills bit. Mills
0: Lane was the man in the mid to late nineties, yeah, you know? dude.
1: They were. It was Mills Lane every day. It was. It was <laughs> <laughs> that shit was I think were a
0: very interesting time weren't they
1: they sure were dude you i mean can celebrity death match some of that shit was kind of vile too it was like i you yeah,
0: but- they remember the one time they look for. we move on they remember one time they switched up the they took the bodies of genghis khan and gandhi and reversed them and <laughs> had them fight each other and like gandhi went up into the audience and just went absolutely wild like how do you air that on television today
1: like I mean, say, like, you know, it was know like clay, know. awesome claymation, but still And like, they would them do them that during the
0: Super Bowl commercials Not, not just Super uh, during like the halftime show, they had like, yeah, yeah. You know, special celebrity death matches and everything It was crazy. Yeah, it was
1: pretty wild, dude It was <clears throat> Well, we got a wild weekend coming up We got a couple of wild weekends, actually But we got a wild weekend coming up uh, I mean, I, I guess I first would say, let's talk about Amanda Serrano versus uh, Katie Taylor yes. Man, um both of the big fights this weekend are getting some some play dude both of them are definitely anticipated but as far as women's boxing goes serrano taylor is it's pretty far up there as far as notoriety as far as the quality of uh you know That's huge i don't want to disparage women's boxing but there has been a lot of catching up that it's been doing. And it's, and it's not that like, you know, it's a shitty product or something like that. It has not been given the proper chance up until the last handful of years. Totally. And I think that that's why we're able to say this is that in now uh, Serrano Taylor, we're finally seeing a big, big women's fight. And not that there haven't been competitive fights before, but on a high level. A high level fight a note uh the notoriety that comes with it
0: etc so awesome i mean i think that has all eyes on it it's yeah. in the big room of msg they're headlining on the card of the zone like this is a big card one of the biggest cards and it's the- not everyone's very very anticipated about
1: we talked about this recently too the the um leila ali jackie fraser lied you know what i mean that was considered like a big women's fight yeah, when oh, yeah. it was That's novelty act. you know yeah, like it was totally. it was all good like it's okay but that was that was this, not it gives
0: me levels of where it like yeah, where that was not belong, this where it is. Absolutely. So you got Amanda Serrano and Katie Taylor, both of them in like for years now. It's been a few years that everyone's been clamoring for these two to fight because they've just been circling each other. Katie Taylor has absolutely dominated the lightweight division and you know unified it, solidified herself as the best female fighter in the world, depending on you know who you ask. The consensus is that she's usually a top at number one and she's deserved that crown um you know former olympian she's come in like the way the way she's like dominated her competition over the over the years that she has and she's not like a major knockout artist or anything but she's just so good at what she does man precision wise everything well like she's just a consummate pro and even in the elevated like skill level that the that women's boxing has brought itself to now compared to what we grew up on and how it was over the years like she's still been able to be a level above one of those guys like we mentioned with Tyson Fury and others that like she can take very good female fighters and just make them look inept because she's so good and you know at that point now like she's had a couple of close calls you know some really tough fights I was ringside for her fight with um tell me if I'm pronouncing my name right Delphine Persoon
1: yeah Mm -hmm.
0: okay perfect so I was there for their, for their fight. And that was one of the best fights I've been ringside for, man. That one was absolute barn burn. Those two beat the hell out of each other and fights like that, you know, take a little bit out of you. So that, with that being said, Serrano now is a seven division champion in in boxing, like almost looked upon as like, you know, like Pacquiaoish or any like Henry Armstrong, whatever you want to call it. She's that for female boxing. Like, and not only is she, it's not like she's going through these divisions, just going the distance with all these, you know, other fighters. Like she's blowing everyone out that she fights. Even if she goes the distance, she still like, you know, wins a complete shutout or just like, you know, loses one round or so. Like she's just the dominant, dominant champion. And she's come a long way. You know, I think when she first came on the scene, she was signed by a fledgling company in the mid 2000s called Boxing 360, which was based out of New York. And at that point, you would just see her on flyers around the city and other stuff like that. But she was making a name for herself. I was reading about her on Fight News and Boxing Talk because Boxing Talk and Boxing 360 had like some kind of deal going on or whatever. So you know her name was out there, but it wasn't really known, especially women's boxing. Still, we're talking like at this point, 2008, 2009, 2010. Around back then, like there's still that whole era. It's a whole different time compared to where women's boxing is now. Correct. So. Totally. And it it took a while for her, but she kept on winning. She did lose one fight, but that didn't deter her. And every time she won, she was just blasting other, you know, fighters out. And for her to be able to bring that point to where she is now and make a lot of history, man, both of these women have brought this to like everybody in the boxing world who now accept uh, women's boxing more so than any other time in uh, in history. And the way the world is now in accepting female sports and how women are accepted in general in the um overall spectrum this is huge this is really huge for them and i'm really really (laughs) excited and and happy for them
1: yeah katie taylor is uh in terms of popularity really huge in ireland um
0: i've (laughs) talked i talked to people at my job um who are who are from ireland a few people from my job from ireland who are not really fight fans in general but they know everything about her and they're really excited about this weekend
1: yeah, there uh a number of Irish folks re- refer to her as R. Katie, because she's, you know, she's uh very popular there. Um, <clears throat> boxing is experiencing, well, it's slightly complicated. We talked about the Daniel Kinahan situation a couple shows ago. Um, and that has certainly complicated uh Irish boxing's rise in terms of popular local popularity and in terms of success and stuff like that um that has definitely put something of a damper on it but even with that and even trying to fight some of the things that have gone on on the amateur level especially on the you know amateur boxing right now is kind of in a it's in a very funky spot they're trying to figure out even whether or not boxing is going to remain as an Olympic sport. I mean, they've been doing that for years. Like that comes up every couple of years. But regardless, um, amateur
0: box has been absolutely corrupt for how long? I mean, it's it's
1: not in a good spot. You know, it, it hasn't been over thirty a long
0: years time. since Roy Jones got blatantly robbed, and the the corruption was shown on live on television. Yeah. So yeah. And and they've been
1: they've been struggling trying to change this thing or that thing ever since and it's pretty much every games they've changed this or they've changed that in an effort New to do New persons this.
0: in charge or promises X, Y, yeah, and it's, Z. It's,
1: yeah. it's bad it's news. It's as
0: corrupt as the pro game.
1: <laughs> no, I mean it's well, so it's bad news between Mick Conlon everybody remembers the, the double birds that he flipped to the judges when he lost his decision um, but to bring it back round Despite all of these things, you know, Irish boxing has had to endure a number of these kind of hardships, and Mm -hmm. she, Katie Taylor, that is, has been able to kind of cut through a lot of that din, a lot of that noise, and has been able to really endear herself to a lot of boxing, a lot of Irish boxing fans, and specifically women and young girls. Uh, there's been a massive surge in Ireland of women's boxing and young women getting into boxing clubs all over. So um, that doesn't make her her a good fighter necessarily, but just to talk about the inspiration and to talk about, uh, you know, how she makes people feel locally. Um, that's important. That's not going to necessarily be with her per se during the fight, but that is important and it's important to the sports important to, to women's boxing um and now of course she was a uh, like two or three time aiba champ uh world champion like you said she was an olympian she has a lot of experience on the amateur level she only has something like 20 fights not a big knockout puncher like you said but that being said amanda serrano is not a real big knockout puncher herself no she's
0: yeah. cumulative yeah yeah
1: she's more like a, a kind of beat you down type of fighter you know or outdo you out a
0: lot of punches
1: She throws a lot of punches and she's, she's tricky. The downfall to uh, the way she fights, I think is that because she doesn't have a lot of power, she's there to be hit sometimes. And sometimes she absorbs, you know, some punches, but Katie,
0: uh, Katie Taylor,
1: uh, well, actually, both of them. To be oh, yeah. honest, I mean, both of them kind of because of that lack of power or having to kind of outwork opponents get get in there and do some work, which leaves them there to be hit. So this is probably going to be, I would imagine, uh, a fight that's tactical with some really nice moments of like exchanges and stuff like that.
0: Oh, I man, mean, I mean, their styles—you can see by how they both fight—they're going to mesh very, very well, and
1: they both get in there.
0: Yeah. And they, not only that, like, they both know this is the biggest fight. This is not only the biggest fight of their career. This is, This at this point right now, this is probably the biggest fight in women's boxing history when you put it on the pedestal and everything around it. So, yeah, this is, uh, I think we're going to get the A game from both of them, man. And, uh, again, dude, this is, like, considering where this has come from when women's boxing was first really featured on television in the days of Christy Martin in the in the 90s when it was cool to see Christy Martin but she was just fighting a girl who cleared or Deirdre Gordy or Lucia Riker or you know the handful of other female fighters who were legit fighters back then Jane Couch Bobby Canine you know Bonnie Canino and um, Andrea Deshaun, there's a few others but like just giving you you know throwing on a few names out there and but they would fight the most inept people you would ever see. Like they had no business whatsoever. being yeah, there was
1: no opposition.
0: It no opposition. Just, you could tell that this was a record completely made up too. That they're thrown in there. Oh, a person was four and one. You know, they've been inactive, inactive for three years, and then they'll be put on Showtime television. Uh, but then you'd
1: see them, and they look like they'd never even thrown a punch. Never
0: before. thrown a punch in their life. Maybe on the street when they got whooped up too, because they have no idea what they're doing. And someone like Christy Martin or. Deirdre Goggin, he was just knocking their head into the bleachers. And we've thank God we've come to that point because that's what was featured then. Or Bob Aram and his, you know, freak show Undercards when he would feature um, <clears throat> Mia St. John and Butterbean over and over and over because he knew that's what would sell to, you know, for a De La fight or whatever it was that he was trying to sell. It's it's so important now that we have this thing that they've like been able to, that they've been able to come from the points of that era. Which, don't get me wrong, those are the pioneers of the sport, even more so when we you mentioned like Lady Tiger, um, Tremier, who's getting inducted into the Hall of Fame, and stuff like that. Not, Jackie Tondawanda, who has a lot of controversy behind her, but she has a name nonetheless, and so on. So to come from all of that into where we are now, where this is headlining an event, that's huge, huge, huge. And, and you know, yeah, there's, a, there's a lot going There's a lot um, for is as... Um, Healthy as it's ever been for women's boxing. Like I said, you have this big fight coming up this weekend. You have Michaela Mayer, you have Clarissa Shields, you have Savannah Marshall, you have Alicia Baumgartner. Like sports are very healthy right now. All of these, all these women fighters are featured prominently on television. All of them are world champions. All of them are getting very popular. They have Twitter, they have other outlets that they get to share their talent and you know their outlooks and different things. And there's a lot of fights because of all the back and forth that are going on that everyone's very very excited about and like kind of salivating now which has never happened for women's boxing before like you had the date but you know if you really want to go way back people were excited hoping to see ann wolf who was an absolute monster in her time fight leila ali but it never, never even came close or lucia reicher fighting christy Martin. but the publicity the um the demand x y and z was never even close to what it is now for these type of fights and that's awesome so and it's
1: like a lot there's still a lot of work to be done obviously um and i mean this this discussion is ongoing women need to be paid more period yes yes totally they need to be paid more they need and to that's, be-
0: that's why it comes to like the whole like three minute rounds or two minute rounds i agree with the ones who say if you want to give me three minute rounds and pay us more
1: well and and that's fine you know like they yeah. they just should be paid more period Um, and they, it should be treated as if it's the same sport more or less. So I don't really see why, well, I do see why, but the point is, uh, there's still a lot, a lot of work to do in terms of creating more equity and equality, uh, in women's boxing compared to men's boxing, but this is a very big step. And I got to ask too, what do you think is going to happen?
0: You know, it's, it's a tough fight, but I'm going to say, I think Katie Taylor has lost a slight step. I, mean, I still think she's a top-level fighter, but I think she's slowed down a little bit over the years. Like I said, she had an extensive amateur career. Um, she's been undefeated and over her career, but she's had a few tough fights, like the Pershing fight and a few others. So, like, it seems like she's slowing down a little bit. I think Serrano hasn't have as hasn't had as much wear and tear on her career, and her style combined with everything else, I think she might be able to pull this out. But I don't know. It, it's one of those really really such like a back and forth 50 50 fight that you know it's going to be close either way but i think i'm leaning towards Serrano.
1: i think that is you, the i i i agree with you i think that you have the I, yeah dude i think that that's a pretty good breakdown i think that katie taylor's got two things going against her one oh my god her voice bro i'm sorry but her <laughs> voice is so it's peter brady oh my god it's so bad it's like nails on a chalkboard for me. And I mean, bro, I like, you know, I have a lot of Irish family, so it's not the accent, you know, like oh, it's just how Irish people talk. No, it's not bro. She's got a very warbly voice. God bless her. But that's one strike <laughs> against her No, but the the actual in-ring strike is that I think that she is, she's definitely got less experience. And then the kind of the other edge of that, and you brought it up too, is that she's had a, a handful of pretty difficult fights that I think showed where her ceiling is, that I think showed that like, uh, you know, she's very, she's really struggling against Natasha Jonas at times. She was really struggling against Delphine Pursun and don't get me wrong because Delphine Persoon definitely took the fight to her and fought hard. And so it was like, it wasn't like she uh, was struggling against some scrub or something like that. But even so I think that those kinds of fights showed that uh, we have seen the maximum. We've seen kind of where she's at. Whereas with Amanda Serrano, we've seen a bunch of different gears. You know, we've seen a couple more facets to her game than we've seen from Katie Taylor. And I would imagine that Amanda Serrano's, uh, her experience, and I think that her style is just a little bit more refined. It's a little sharper A little bit she moves a little bit better i think and i think we're gonna see that kind of stuff of course the strike against amanda serrano is that like the trainer is (laughs) yeah the the trainer's a a a funky guy but yeah yeah
0: yeah but
1: but needless to say it's a it's a really good fight it's a good matchup and i think that you got it spot on here do i think amanda serrano's got the edge
0: didn't katie taylor um fight serrano's sister
1: course i looked back on her record but i i want to say yeah, that she was say like she cindy did. serrano yeah
0: yeah and like just a little, like a shutout so she also has that perspective there we go
1: yeah okay yep you're oh. right and yes it was a shutout and so yeah so there's a little bit of extra oomph going into the, for yeah, amanda yeah. serrano to for that get back too
0: totally so
1: it's gonna be that clutch uh, situation to it, where, where yeah, it's, to gonna be a, in.
0: it's gonna be a good fight and it's um a fight that like the garden is gonna be as the consent, everyone around here, there's been like a, you know, excitement in New York City for this fight. There's like been an air for it. And um, I'm sure the garden's going to be very, very packed that night. I might be there myself.
1: It would be pretty cool to have to see Amanda Serrano have the same effect locally, like in New York, for instance, uh, as Katie Taylor has had in Ireland.
0: Nah, man, you know, it's going to be Jimmy's Corner's definitely going to be packed this week, all for, you know, for this fight. So if that's an indication of anything, like I said, I expect the garden to be very, very lively and packed that as well, because this is a fight that has been anticipated. They both have big fan bases. Serrano coming to New York, you know, Katie Taylor bringing in her contingent as well. And a lot of fans coming in to support her. So yeah, man, this is going to be big. And um, what's awesome about this is that the fight that we're about to mention after this and this fight are not going to cross paths. So we can, you know, boxing Thank fans goodness. can enjoy everything. Thank God, because usually they, this, dude. every all these networks love to kind of program each other and run the main events concurrently and just kind of piss everyone off. And it really sucks being a boxing fan sometimes. Like it's it's a great being one, but you have to suffer through a lot of ways and have well, multiple that type of popularity. shit is needless. I don't I don't yeah, understand that. Yeah. <laughs> well, and you know what's crazy it's not too? Like one a.m. over here because I live on the East Coast and enough is enough, dude. I'm 37. I can't be staying up like this anymore. Well, it, well, another cool, another
1: really cool thing real quickly about this Serrano Taylor fight is that it's headlining. And I mean, yeah. this is a, a slightly different conversation, obviously. And I, I do have to give props to Jake Paul, because he has kind of taken this on as a sort of project that he wanted to get this fight out there and help make it huge. And I think it would have been a big fight. It would have been a big fight without Jake Paul. So I don't want to give him like all the credit per se, but he definitely took it on as a project and helped push it out there, so I got to give him some props I got to give him some credit for that and the fact that it's uh okay. it's a headlining fight and it's not a support bout for some bigger fight or something like that is that's important that's sending a serious message
0: I totally agree man like say what you want about uh, uh, excuse me say what you want about the Paul brothers and their personality and what they go on with and stuff like that but like you just mentioned he is taking when, since he's taken on Amanda Serrano as like an adv- advisor, manager, promoter, whatever, um, he's done huge things. Like he's really, really put her out there and he's, you know, his presence was a big part of the, how this fight got made and working with it, stuff like that. So, you know, it's genuine too. It's not like he's trying to put on an act or anything. Like he really wanted to see women's boxing, you know, try to put, um, put on a different platform and for them to make more money. And this is the biggest fight with the most attention that the, that the sport has had so far. So kudos to him for that. You know, like I said, say what you want because they have a very polarizing personality with some of their antics or whatever. But you can't say that you know he doesn't care about women's boxing, and that's awesome.
1: Totally, yeah, and it's it's good to see
0: uh, a fight
1: like that get you know come come to the forefront.
0: And totally. and it's a fight that's been you know that people have wanted to be made for a long time. This isn't one that just like happened recently with what you know with both women just kind of like coming together. Like this has been. If you, want to put it to, if you want to put it in a certain way, this is almost like women's boxing's Errol Spence, Terrence Crawford. For a few years, it's been brewing. Everyone's been asking, asking, you know, hoping that they were going to like, finally cross paths. When is it going to be made? There was a few rumors that was getting close, and then it'll fall apart. And then eventually, now, here we are. So that's how I look at it.
1: I think that that's a, that's a pretty good analogy, dude. Uh, especially from in terms of like the levels you know the anticipation yeah. Yeah. and uh, two high level fighters you know i, I wish that yeah, they're were... two
0: of the best female fighters on the absolute planet um yeah. you know in the same era in the same division at the both of them not gonna say at their absolute peaks but you know close enough where they're finally gonna clash and here we are so
1: yeah it's uh it's it's really it's yeah it's the kind of stuff that we should be expecting for but you kind of uh alluded to that earlier that um i think jake the jake paul key in this situation like you know the reason why he was important to making this fight and you kind of hinted at it earlier was that there's just has not been the money there's not been the demand to put together big fights and i mean like what winds up happening or what has happened in the past is that they wind up going to Uh, women do for like these bigger matchups or like for these higher profile matchups and then they're like oh you know how about like a fifty thousand dollar or whatever and they're like the fuck are you talking about so you know there hasn't really at least in the minds of promoters or whoever it is that's putting together the money for these matchups there hasn't been money for the matchups and they can't put them together and so i think that that's really where jake paul has been instrumental is changing the conversation of like you know, um, I know that he annoys a lot of boxing fans, and that they don't like the fact that you know he's eased into he's eased into boxing the way that he has. But he's also kind of opened up the conversation. A lot of people focus on the UFC shit because he always snipes at Dana White, but he's he has definitely changed the conversation or the trajectory of the conversation when it comes to fighter pay. And, and yes. the possibilities of fighter pay, because I know I don't want to get too far into it because this is an entire podcast unto itself, but it's just like the entertainment industry. You, know, you have a manager or whatever, and you, and you cut them X percent. And when you're a fighter and you have a manager or a promoter or an advisor, you're cutting them X percent. And the more people that you have, the more percentages you're cutting them. And that's why you hear about fighters who are making 250 grand and then they walk home with like 60 grand or something like that because they're fucking after taxes and after paying out all their team and all training expenses and blah, blah, blah. I don't have shit. And so Jake Paul, what he is helping to do, and this is kind of the Amanda Serrano, Katie Taylor thing is an extension of this conversation is changing it, changing the dynamic, kind of like how Floyd Mayweather did to say, like, you guys don't need to be paying out all these promoters and all this type of shit. Like, they're making all the money. What the fuck? Pocket the money yourself. And that's that's kind of, in part, what this is about, too.
0: Absolutely. And anything that puts more focus on women's boxing, which is, basically, this is the biggest one that they're going to have right at this point, And that they're going to get the maximum amount of money that they absolutely deserve, then kudos to them, because this is just the start of it. Once this fight happens, this could be, like, a good win. As you know um rick elvis parker once said the windfall factor this could be for, for women's boxing like after this fight and if it gets the att- like if it delivers the way it should then i think subsequent big fights after that will get the proper payout that they deserve well i hope so at least
1: right like hopefully it's some sort of kind of domino effect
0: yeah uh, you know because after this fight you know the next one that everyone is looking forward to is um the grudge match between savannah marshall and colinus shields which goes all the way back to the amateur career, yep. so that's a big one I'm looking forward to too. So I mean, it's yeah, you
1: know. Well, and you know, the, I was going to say that if there's one thing that this Serrano Taylor matchup is kind of lacking is the the idea that you know there's going to be a big knockout because it's it's highly unlikely nah, both of them be out not at this scale and everything like that. And like yeah. you mentioned
0: too, neither one of them a one punch knockout artist. Serrano usually overwhelms their opponents, and Taylor excuse me the majority of the time goes to. Um, goes to, de- goes to um, do a decision unless, you know, she's so overwhelmingly over her opponent that she stops him, you know, within a few rounds. But this fight's going the distance. And I think right. it's going to be a close fight.
1: And I think that, um and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think that, like, you brought up Clarissa Shields versus Savannah Marshall. And that's the kind of fight where that could be different because Savannah Marshall's obviously a puncher. And she's the last person to have defeated, uh you know, to, to have defeated Clarissa Shields. So, again, you know, this... That's an accent, too, man. The way she was calling her pillow fist. <laughs> Dude, I mean, it's, it's just pretty hilarious. And, and I'm, you know, I'm excited to see a, a matchup like that myself. So, this opens
0: hopefully... Because Shields, Shields is a big shit talker. And Marshall has been shit talking her back. And you can yeah. tell she's very confident in fighting Shields and what she can do to her. So, that's a fight I'm really looking forward to. Because I think there will be a knockout in that fight, potentially. Or someone's going to get hurt as somebody's to something's gonna be, happen
1: somebody's gonna get the shit punched out of them that's for sure you know
0: like you taylor serrano is gonna have a high level of punches thrown it's gonna be a brutal fight both women are gonna you know definitely inflict some punishment on themselves but for whatever reason this grudge fight between marshall and shields and the way they just kind of you could tell they really don't like each other as opposed to um, whenever, you know what i mean whenever there's a grudge match when you know two people really don't like each other Totally. as opposed to like more respectfulness as you've seen with um serrano and taylor it's just
1: or if it's manufactured <laughs> drama you know like where yeah, it's not real yeah, yeah. you know that happens probably
0: not too. real with either one of them and there's no drama there they're both very respectful both of them are kind of mellow and like you said katie taylor is very reserved and just kind of respectful of everybody as is serrano so they're just more so taking this and like knowing that they're putting women's boxing at the highest level that they can and giving it the most attention it's ever got as opposed to shield's and and, um savannah marshall where they just hate each other there's no business shields thinks she's the greatest woman of all time marshall thinks she's a chump that she's going to stop her in a few rounds and she already has a beat like you said she beat her in the amateurs the last person to ever beat her and the only person to have beaten her so there's like an added incentive there yeah man this woman's boxing is awesome right now yeah,
1: that's it, that's really the only thing, unfortunately, lacking in this fight. But it, that's not a big deal to me, and it should be a great fight. But
0: yeah, totally. I'm but, I'm looking forward to it. Saturday's gonna be good for that.
1: And and so for this other big matchup this weekend, Shakur Shakur Stevenson versus Oscar Valdez. I mean, I think that a <laughs> knockout is far more likely in this fight, you know. And and so for that reason, I think that there's a little bit of excitement here too. Um, there's a number of different kind of like outside storylines for both fighters there's no real history, but this is uh i i don't know that I would call it really the definition of a crossroads matchup but I don't it, think it's a crossroads fight but nah. it is the kind of fight I think though where at this moment in their careers mm-hmm. both guys do kind of need this win i mean I guess that's kind of stupid to say because they they always need a fucking win you know like a fighter can't lose but but, but I mean, um, you know, with Oscar Valdez, he, he very badly feels as though coming off the Ropes and Conceição fight and then also coming off of having tested positive for performance-enhancing drugs, um, I think that he feels really motivated that he needs a really big showing here. A lot of the stuff in his career has been called into question over the last year or two. And then Shakur Stevenson, I think that he has also kind of on the flip side, been uh, underestimated and kind of undersold a little bit. I mean, in a a number of ways for a good reason. You know, a lot of people remember him as the kid who was crying on TV after the Olympics. And then, uh, you know, I mean, and that's that's an easy thing to make fun of. A A number of other people remember that he's the kid who was in the auto garage trying to beat up people in a brawl. Again, another easy thing that's like, you know, you can pick on him for that kind of shit, and it's an easy thing to kind of call back to on social media. Mm-hmm. But um, these kinds of things, right or wrong, have come to kind of like define him. And I think that he is really on the lookout to score a big win. And this would be a massive win for him if he could beat Oscar Valdez. You know, so there's a lot of motivation for both of these guys to score a win here.
0: Well, the thing, of course, Stevens is that he's supremely, supremely confident in himself. Like he carries himself to a certain degree that he like knows that he feels that he's an elite fighter. You know, if you ask him, he'll put himself in the top five pound. Well, someone asked him recently, who was his top five pound for pound, and he gave it. And he said, if he beats Valdez this weekend or he said, when he beats Valdez this weekend, then he'll put himself in there as well. And, you know, the one thing that I saw on Twitter and a few other people talking, a lot of people are trying to compare this fight well, not everybody, but a few people are trying to compare this fight to, say, Floyd Diego Corrales. And I'm not sure if I would compare that or think that's even a fair comparison, because like, I think Oscar Valdez has more levels in to his game than true, Corrales. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: And not only that, Shakur Stevenson wasn't the type of fighter that Floyd Mayweather was at Junior Lightweight back then. Floyd...
1: I know he Pretty feels Boy he Mayweather. is, but he's
0: not. Yeah, he's not. Pretty Boy Mayweather and Money Mayweather were two entirely different fighters, Not to say that Pretty Boy Mayweather went out there and like you know was ferociously knocking out guys like Mike Tyson, but he was a much more aggressive fighter um, in his early days and in terms of how he attacked and when he had a guy hurt and yada yada yada. You know what I mean? Shakur Stevenson is not bad. Um, What he is is one of the best defensive fighters on the planet. And if you look at his copy box numbers, he ranks at the very at near the very top in terms of guys who doesn't get um, who doesn't get hit at all in a fight and um, his accuracy is uncanny as well you know he has a very good radar for punches and he's clearly a classic boxer who's been born and bred since he was a kid like he was born into the sport he been bred into the sport brought up young and all the way up to the olympics i think he had one of those records that again he hadn't lost a fight in a number of years and it was an upset when he he didn't win the gold medal so like you mentioned when you alluded to when he was crying and a lot of people were looking at him in a certain light because he was still a kid and he turned pro and he, wasn't turning, and he wasn't turning the world on fire in his first uh, year and a half or so, because he was still young, you know, he could still, he was still growing. He was still growing into his man strengths, um, so, so to speak, and still developing as a pro because the pro and the amateurs are two entirely different sports. And even though he was an elite amateur and that would translate a little bit into the pros, he was still adjusting a little bit, you know, but soon enough, you started seeing little things. And then like one day he scored a one. Um. He scored a first round knockout over an opponent who I believe it was that like went the distance with Lee Selby or somebody that was a was known as a durable guy, but like Stevenson just like annihilated him. And that started getting people's attention because at that point he was starting, he was still a prospect. He was still an elite prospect who was featured on top rank right undercars, but no one was really excited about him. I would be like, oh yeah, you know, this feather fist young Stevenson just gonna, you know, um go to 80-72 against another opponent. But once he um he blew out this this other guy in the first round, whose name, again, I um forgive me at the moment, but like people started taking notice from there. And then he started getting at um started getting matched, matched up more tough. Like I remember I think he fought a uh, Christopher Diaz on um top rank, you know, on a pay-per-view undercard, completely shut him out, started fighting more and more competition and started to look like he was like he started growing, you notice like his body was like developing more looked like he was just filling out more and like just, you know, starting adjusting better into the pro ranks as opposed to being an amateur. He started really like, you know, taking his style and adjusting it and just really, really blossoming. And it got to the point where he is now, man, you know, like he's looked upon, even though he hasn't had that many pro fights, but he's an elite talent and more, most people looked upon him look upon him as being the future pound for pound great and one of the best in the, um in the world in a few years. So, even though this is a unification fight, Oscar Valdez has been around a long time. A lot of people I've noticed are thinking this is like a coronation for Stevenson. I'm not sure if it's going to be that easy for him. Even, so, even though Valdez has been around a long time, I mean, back to the point where he was featured on HBO. So that gives you a perspective of how long ago this was. And this was a couple of years before HBO was even going out of business. Like this was when, you know, he was still like a prospect and he was still being featured on like either pay-per-view undercards or even on an HBO undercard. So, He's been around for a minute and he's had some grueling fights, you know, the squat, the squat, Scott Quigg fight where he broke, where he had his jaw broken and went through hell and back to win that fight. You know, the fight that you mentioned as well. And a few other ones, like that's his style. Like he's a cagey fighter. He knows how to box and he has a good, he's a former Olympian. And he's a very, very good boxer himself, but he's a guy that likes to get in there, man. He throws a bunch of punches, he's very aggressive and, you know, as opposed to just being, so to sum it up, as opposed to this being Floyd Corrales, I could see this maybe being Floyd Castillo.
1: I think that that's probably a closer analogy, yeah. I mean, well, even just style-wise, you know, Diego Corrales was more like a stalker kind of He was.
0: He was a stalker guy. He didn't move a lot. He was very, very tall. He never moved his head or anything. Like, he had boxing ability, but he wasn't a guy that had quick feet. He had to set his punches like... He was tailor-made for Floyd when it really came down to it. The reason yeah. why everybody thought back then that Floyd might have trouble losing that fight was because of all of his out-of-the-ring issues that he was going through. He had a lot of controversy with his girlfriends and other stuff and yada, yada, yada. But, and Corrales was destroying dudes at that point. You know, remember Derek Gaynor and this one and that yep. one and like, you know, he man was Freddy, looking like yeah, dude. man, And Freddie, yeah, man, just stomping guys out like they were bugs. And Floyd put on his best performance but then when you watched it too man he just Corrales had no chance in that fight. He just walked forward Floyd came boop, 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 boop. Boo. Yeah, he well I
1: mean you can't like it's like that kind of style dude if you're not going to move your head and like I'll you know,
0: do anything. Yeah, Floyd yet, is just
1: going to fucking that. knock your block off and that's what he did. And it I probably also this fight like that. It, it probably didn't help that, you know, just kraus i think was struggling to make 130 pounds and i think he has some
0: out of the ring issues going on yeah he also had out of the ring shit but floyd infamously said he was dedicating this fight to all the battered battered women out there
1: which is just the height of you know absolute comedy calling the kettle black right jesus christ but but yeah, I think that you're probably spot on, though, dude, because Oscar Valdez is a little bit more uh, cerebral, a little bit more able to adjust, you know, a little bit more.
0: And he's from the Reynoso campus.
1: He's still, work, he's still working with him, right? Like What uh, did actually, he leave them? That's a good question, because you know what? I watched the, um, what is it called? Blood, Sweat, and Tears. It was a two-part thing that Top Rank did for this fight, on, and they put it out on YouTube, and I watched it on YouTube. I don't really remember seeing Renu so much like featured uh, in an early season. I'm it,
0: not sure. I haven't really kept up, so I wasn't I wasn't entirely so that's, sure.
1: That's actually a good question. Um they talked about his his uh positive test, but I I don't know. Damn, now I want to know. Now now I should look. But in any case, um I think that it's important that if he were in that camp, that's a really that's a really high level camp to be in um and so i mean for that level i think for his sake i hope he's still in that camp because that's the kind of camp i think that you would learn and grow from but um
0: he's gonna he's gonna push stevenson that's what that's yeah. what stevenson needs is that a lot of his fights he ends up and this is the quality of a of a potentially great fighter who, who stevenson right now is very very good he's not great yet but was that they make is that they'd make the fight you know their um their pace like, quickly. Right away, they just take control over and just make it their pace that they want to be. And Stevenson does that quickly. Like, he makes guys just completely miss to the point that they, yeah. they're almost afraid to really throw on him like that, and then he just kind of controls them from there. And yeah. Valdez isn't the type of guy that gets deterred really quick if he gets hit with a couple exactly. of shots. He's going to keep on going. And I need to see how Stevenson's going to react to that. I think he's going to bring it to the next level because I think he, he has the potential – and skill-wise, he totally does, but like, I think, you know, that's what he needs. He needs someone that's going to have to push him to that.
1: And so I looked real quick, just to make sure, just so we don't look like total fucking idiots here, but yeah, Eddie is still in uh, Oscar Valdez camp, and okay. um, or at least that's what it looks like, and so I mean, that's, my guess is that they probably didn't feature it much, because Canelo's probably the focus right now for Reynoso, because he's got the big yeah. old fight coming up next week, but, um, but, yeah, uh, I dude, I think that that's a really good point, too, because Shakur Stevenson is not a knockout puncher, like, overall. He's not a big puncher. He's a sharp puncher. He's a very sharp fighter, the kind of fighter who's going to outspeed you, frustrate you, like you said.
0: This is very accurate.
1: Yeah, the kind of fighter who's like, you know, you go to hit him, and he's not there, and then he stings the shit out of you with something that you didn't see um so i mean not the, the kind of guy where you're going to have to be worrying about his punching power per se but in that kind of fight a guy like oscar valdez who's not going to be deterred or frustrated you know that's that's important
0: totally and valdez is a guy that throws a high level of punches himself and he's not a person that just kind of wails away i mean if he gets you on the ropes he's going to throw a little bit but like he like you said he he's pretty cerebral in how in his approach he's not just like a balls to the wall throwing out there trying to angle like he moves in he knows how he's, he knows where he's going to place his punches and he uses a jab well as well and if he's with the Reynoso's camp you're going to have a good game plan first for Stevenson they're not going to go in there trying to think for themselves of like um you know just out of clue or what they're going to do like you know kind of wing it like, they're going to come in with a very steady game plan. And speaking of, now that I think of it, there was a boxing um, boxing scene article where Canelo said he was surprised of uh, how much of an underdog um, Valdez was in the fight. So, there you have it.
1: Yeah. And I'm I sure mean,
0: being a camp with Canelo, if Canelo gets ready for his fight with Bivol. definitely gets um, Valdez added motivation himself. Like, they're both training for big fights, you know what I mean? I would imagine,
1: yeah. Because, I mean... You, it's kind of like how they say. Would go ahead.
0: Oh, it, it's the Junior Jones factor. For instance, Junior Jones was training in camp with Evander Holyfield as Holyfield was getting ready for Tyson, and Junior Jones was getting ready for Marco Antonio Barrera. And Junior Jones said afterwards, after he upset Barrera, that he said that being in camp with Holyfield, you know, working with Tommy Brooks and such, like you know, gave him that motive, extra motivation. So it does help.
1: It, it's almost like the idea that they say, uh, "What do they say when you win? A, when you win a championship, you, you become 30 percent better, or whatever the you know the saying is." I think that it's it's a similar kind of idea that like you're uh, the greatness is kind of by osmosis pouring onto you. You know, you're working out in the same camp as Canelo and etc so I, I mean that doesn't make oscar valdez great obviously but i think that it's definitely it just helpful. gives
0: you that added it gives you some added motivation though some for juice sure. to like it. for sure yeah
1: yeah i think that it's it's a really high level fight what do you think is going to happen dude
0: i mean i would love to say that i would pull an upset but i can't quite see it. i think shakur stevenson um even though he hasn't been tested yet i think he has the potential and the way he looks at, and out of all the guys right now, Devin Haney um, and all the younger young guns of that group, I think Stevenson has the best look of them at this moment. So I think he's going to win this fight, but I do not think it's going to be as easy as like, say, some others thought it going to be Floyd Corrales or Floyd or Toro Gatti or something like that. You know what I mean? I think he's going to yeah. be pushed. I think he's going to struggle a little bit and he's going to have to come out of, you know, a couple of like, you know, situations, but I think he should prevail at the end.
1: Yeah. I think Shakur Stevenson's probably going to pull off a decision would be my guess.
0: If he, Um, if he wins like a complete shutout or if he wins like, you know, 10 to two or 11 to one or something like that, I'll be highly impressed and already consider him, you know, put him on the pedestal to shoot him to the moon at that point.
1: 130 to 140 right now I'm kind of creeping into 140 but that's mostly because the lightweights are wanting to move up um, yeah. but the 130 135 right now is hot and so I think that that's this is the kind of this is a moment here right where we have Shakur Stevenson or the winner of this fight I should say the winner of this fight is poised for bigger things for sure potentially Ew. at lightweight so, I mean
0: they're they're up for grabs is the um ring title isn't it for this fight or just basically lineal championship undisputed everyone's kind of looking at as the man
1: well they're technically gonna be you know unifying two two world titles so I mean for take that for whatever it's worth these days i mean uh, it's it's tough to assign exactly how much you know worth that is but it's important and that's i guess the best way we have in order to kind of determine who's the best in a given division so Mm -hmm. yeah um i'd have to look i to be honest i don't know if it's for the ring title but if it were i that would be that would make sense to me you know i wouldn't be mad about it or be like oh what the shit you know it, it makes sense so, and clearly, regardless of that, whoever wins this fight, especially if it's emphatic, especially if it's like by knockout, man, they got the the world is their oyster at 130 pounds right now, and they potentially could move up for 135 pound that's big, 135 pound fight that's big.
0: I mean, I think that's what they would probably do. What would they still be doing at 130? You know, uh, Jojo Diaz alluded that he's going to move down, but that's definitely not something to, to keep someone busy in terms of money when they can be chasing the... Haney, Kimbosis winner, or Tank Davis, or exactly. Ryan Garcia, um, Lomachenko, if he ever, you know, when his conflict in the Ukraine ends eventually, and so on, so.
1: Yeah, man, it's, uh, there's a lot of potential excitement to come from.
0: So much. These guys just need to start fighting each other. I mean, we got Haney and Kimbosis fighting pretty soon, and that's a start, and that's a big. That's a fight I'm excited about. Um, Haney's looking, from the photos I've been seeing, posted of him, he's looking in incredible shape. Cambosis, I'm sure, is in incredible shape himself. That's going to be a high-level fight. That's going to be awesome. Um, it will provide a lot of clarity in the division. Um, and then, you know, Tank Davis, who – did you see the interview, actually? Let me ask you that, where someone asked him, you know, who, who do you want to fight? Someone like Preston, they said, you know, who do you want to fight in, like, you know, in the future? And, and in terms of, like, the top names or whatever, And he said, I don't really know. And they were like, "Have you ever called out this one, that one, whatever?" He said, "No." He said, "Actually, I've never really done that in my career." And that kind of shows you how it is being like, you know, under that under like an umbrella with TMT and other stuff, right? Well, and and I mean, I think he was being that's... honest about it. It wasn't like almost being cheating. he was being honest. He was like, "I've just never really called anyone." He was like, "I never called these guys out." Huh?
1: Well, and I mean, he doesn't really need need to because no. he's already in the position where they want to fight him. And I mean, yeah, yeah. How do I carefully say this? Um, I mean, I think that, I th- I think, I personally think he's a very good and talented fighter. He's obviously, yeah. he's obviously a troubled dude who has a difficult time keeping himself out of trouble. And hey, man, I can relate, you know, but um, I think that a lot of it is that it's showing what happens when you have really intelligent promoters behind you good advisors and people who are willing to kind of show you the ropes and also people who are willing to beat the drums for you like relentlessly where it's like, regardless of what the fuck is going on, you're a star, dude. And if somebody's going to question it, fuck them. You know what I mean? Like aggressively tell them you're a star and don't say no. And don't fucking buy anything about how you're not. And you know, obviously, the component is there that he's talented and that he has a lot of skill. If you don't have that, then you can't fucking push the star angle. Then you wind up with like, like the dude you mentioned, the Welsh Mayweather, Lee Selby. You know, like it's it doesn't work. You don't wind up in a good place. But I think that obviously we can see with Tank Davis that he's got a lot more
0: ability and talent, and that he could. I mean, I hopefully now that he's not with Floyd or whatever's going on with that. um, I don't know. You know that he could be available. Available now maybe for other fights but who knows maybe because he since he was under that umbrella for so long that like it, it it's hard to say he's more of the wild card and like for instance back in the day um ring magazine when my uh when i was a fan back you know early days they had an article of um division by division the fights they wanted to see and then they had a percentage of uh the chances of each fight happening like, you know, through the division. Some of them was like 90% in those fights that actually ended up did, you know, did happening. Others were like 20%. And just like the 20%, the fights never even came close to being sniffed like that. And it almost feels like the fights would take Davis, maybe except for the exception of Ryan Garcia, because of like the profiles of both of them in their history, that fight could potentially be made. It's going to be tougher and be made with those other guys, just because of like, the money wise profile, the whole who's the A, who's the B side, who deserves this and all that. It's just gonna be really, really, really yeah. tough.
1: It 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 complicates the the conversation for sure. It does.
0: And, and that's what and you know, that's kind of like the the whole story with everything in boxing. Who's gonna be the A side money wise, who's gonna get this, who's gonna get that? Everything falls apart because of money.
1: Well, and and I think that there's also that kind of that that portion of it too where and again, I I don't want to say this in a way where I'm disparaging this line of thinking because I think that this it's an an important conversation to have where in the last handful of years, like for instance, Floyd Mayweather, I talked about this earlier with the Jake Paul uh, thing where how he's kind of moving the zeitgeist or conversation about boxing. But similarly, I think that there have been a lot of fighters, especially under like the premier boxing champions uh, umbrella, where they're trying to impart the mindset of these fighters were like, dude, you don't need to go out and get the shit kicked out of you. You don't need to fight a war every single time where, you know, like there are ways to maneuver uh, you as a fighter so that you don't take as much damage so that you're able to win world titles or become a multiple division champion, but not have to like run the gauntlet type of thing. And I know that there are going to be a lot of old school fight fans who are, who, uh, see that mindset and they go like yeah what a bunch of pussies we know what a bunch of weaklings oh my god you know back in world war ii can you imi-? you know of course like we know all this shit we get it we know how difficult shit was back then but the point is that like people are already these... doing it for the 90s man well and look at how these fighters ended up that's the whole point is that like we can't simul we can't simultaneously go oh my god you know this is so bad i feel so bad for these fighters but then like have fucking oh. bl- bloodlust in our eyes and be like i want that fucking war and i want them to kill each other lloyd says that both. all the
0: time because he mentions what happened to his uncle roger and even to his dad to a degree um,
1: and you can't you do have Roy Jones
0: who like Joel McClellan was his friend, even though they fought in the amateurs, and like what happened to him in his fight with Nacho Ben, that really, really impacted Roy. Even right. though Roy yeah. continued a lot longer than anyone ever anticipated.
1: Right, because he yeah. fell victim to just, it just
0: like every fighter. Yeah. He really, he really, really did. But like, yeah, man, it's if you watch like especially with this mod especially with this era now, because with now knowing what we know about CTE and like brain damage and boxing and what's going on in like the books, like Tris Dixon's, like really, really great book that just came out recently. Um, and others just, you know, doctors and all, all this, this stuff that's come out over the years now about what the commun- you know, cumulative, cumulative effect of a long, long career can do for your you know, brain and everything like that. You know, a lot of these fighters today are saying, why would I risk anything like that? that's the whole effect now
1: and and that's the whole thing is that like should we blame them and really the answer should be no dude we shouldn't we should encourage like we i'm not saying that we need to cheerlead fighters to the point where like we're patting them on the ass for not taking challenges but there's a big difference there's a big gulf between that and absolutely just putting them in the fucking thresher you know (laughs) like there's there's ways to maneuver fighters. It's, that's far more. I mean, there's
0: a, you know. Fighters want to chase greatness, and if you want to do that, you have to go through hell sometimes to be able to get that. And there's other ones that are just going to completely milk the system, but to the point where it's almost laughable, and you're like, you know what, you got to do something like that's pathetic. But right, there's some, there's of levels here. Because some fighters find a balance, though, and exactly. Tank is, almost seems like he's finding that Tank. At this moment, it seems like he's found that balance because he has been in a few tough fights. Like I, you know, Isaac Cruz was a bad motherfucker who gave him the hell and back. You know what I mean? And and PBC
1: and, is very intelligently pivoting Isaac Cruz from that fight yeah. and the success from that fight into exactly. like, do oh, it. We got this other dude yeah. now. So yeah, 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 so you know,
0: I mean, you
1: know. yeah, it's, it's that. I think
0: takes at that balance at that point. But that being said, I hope that. He doesn't have the mindset where oh, if it happens, it happens. I'm just gonna let them deal with it. I fight whoever they put me in front of, instead of just like, hey man, I wanna fight Haney, I wanna fight Cambosis, I wanna fight Ryan Garcia, I wanna fight Tio Fimo and move up eventually. Like cause he already went to 140, even though he's a tiny guy, but you know, um, but whoever it may be, like yeah, he says he talks shit on Twitter sometimes, he'll go back and forth with these guys, but you
1: Every... know, and eventually
0: too, if he wants to stay at 135 if um valdez wants to move up eventually uh, if um Shakur stevenson because he's definitely going to be moving up soon enough he's still a young guy like there's a lot going on man there's so yeah. many so many chess pieces to put together um that we just have a fairly play.
1: amazing symphony sometimes yeah, you know totally that, that it even works at all is but is it's boxing
0: though, man so you can't get too excited because all this stuff can just fall apart in one fell swoop
1: that's true that is extremely true so you do kind of got to keep yourself grounded just in just, case don't get you your just, fucking you know hopes so. you
0: talk hypotheticals and you get really hyped and you, you <laughs> i know you it. get me all excited here shit i mean yeah you do and you think about it but at the same time you got to keep a proper perspective on things and be yeah. like you know what this fight probably won't happen this fight probably won't happen if it does it's gonna be a few years and yada, yada, yada. you know put this one in there someone might so yeah. many things like that.
1: Yeah there's, a, yeah, there's a lot of Plus, marination if
0: you add all their households activities too, like you, you know, you kind of alluded to earlier. Then who the hell knows? Yeah, there's a
1: lot of marination going on these days, sometimes unnecessary marination. Thanks,
0: Bob Arum. Yeah, <laughs> no, that fight marry. needs
1: time. No, it or, doesn't, or, it now.
0: or um, Angelo Dundee. No, no, just let it wait. That feels gonna be juicy, okay? It's getting juicy one day, yeah. <sighs> Angelo Dundee,
1: well, he was a master. He well, no, is no, you master. know what though?
0: He I, I I shouldn't bring him up for that because he was actually correct and made in his assumption of her uh, Hearns Leonard. Yeah, so. that's
1: that's true. That was a perfect right, I, I apologize,
0: Angela. Yeah, I, I take that back because like that was actually spot on. Bob Aram. Yeah. <laughs> Bob Aram takes all the brunt of his, you know, marinating.
1: Yeah, I guess but Aram's just gonna have to take it on this one. now nah, it's it's a, uh, look, dude, we gotta have a, a good schedule this weekend. Um Man, and I'm, a good I'm... schedule
0: in general man we have a lot of weeks coming mm-hmm. up with a lot of fights so man. yeah
1: and i uh was able to talk to Ericson lubin he gave me a couple opinions on the fights coming up this weekend too so if you wind up uh after you watch this video or listen to this podcast go back and check that out because it's fairly short
0: and are one of the best fights of the year so i mean definitely worth a listen
1: yeah dude he was and you know what i i was actually surprised a little bit that he's he was kind of pissed he was like no i don't want to be in the fight of the year i want to win i'm like oh okay i guess i can <laughs> see that <laughs> totally. that's fair it, was, it uh... was a
0: very very competitive fight too man it was one where his face just kind of gave out when it was hard to yeah. let it keep on going the way it was but um whether you agree with it or not the judges had him ahead i think two or three judges had about
1: like so, I, I thought it was fairly close, but he was kind of getting beat up. So I don't really agree that he was ahead, it, but it was a, a really good like, fight.
0: I'll say this he landed the more eye catching punches, yeah, exactly. When he got dropped, but like, um, it was just the cumulative effect, just one of those grinding uppercuts, you know, <sighs> by death. And just, yeah,
1: that was brutal, man. It was brutal stuff, but yeah, so he, uh, you know, I think that even just on the basis of him, you know, deserving to be heard, you should go check that out. But Eris, dude, I appreciate you. Discussing the fights this weekend with me, man. Yeah, it's uh, a lot
0: of fun as always, man. I'm really, really looking forward to this weekend and um, taking it all in and just. Yeah. yeah.
1: May the best fighters win for sure. Totally. But hey, everybody who listened in or watched, and uh, you know, I I really appreciate. I know Eris appreciates it too. If you wouldn't mind subscribing, if you listened in to the podcast wherever it might be, subscribe, leave a comment, and if you also watched on YouTube, subscribe, leave a comment. Always helpful. We're on social media as well. The show is on, for instance, Facebook and Instagram. Also, we're on Twitter, but my buddy Eris is on Twitter himself as Punch Zone Eris. Me, Patrick Connor. I'm on Twitter as Patrick M. Connor. Man, we'll talk soon, Eris.
0: Absolutely. Have a good one, everyone. Enjoy the fights. plus Thank you.